Welcome to the Shining Mind podcast. I'm Dr. Selena Bartlett. I'm a neuroscientist and I'm really excited to be here today. I'm with Edwina Roberts, who I knew as Edwina Campbell. And we have known each other for decades and decades. And we just reconnected at our 30 year school reunion and we just have so much in common. And we've just learnt so much about so many things. So welcome Edwina. And do you want to introduce yourself to everybody? Thanks, Selena. Um, Edwina Roberts. Um, my friends and family call me Eddie. I'm 53 years of age and I've got two beautiful boys aged 12 and 11 and an amazing husband. Um, and I've been married for 13 years. Oh, no, congratulations. And I live on the Gold Coast. And it's beautiful, isn't it? Here? Beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm very lucky where I live and I'm lucky that I have a great family yeah. and um, I'm surrounded by love. So yeah. And you actually grew up here, didn't you? No, actually, I grew up in Brisbane. So when we went to school um, in Brisbane, I graduated, studied as a graphic artist and preferred hospitality. So I stayed in the hospitality industry in Brisbane until I was transferred to the Gold Coast in 1990. And um, still didn't know I wanted to settle here. And then with the hotel chain and training company I worked for, I was transferred to a few places. came back to here and realised that the coast was where I wanted to be, which was fortunate because that's how I met my husband on the coast. Yeah. So. Um, but were your parents here? Where were, Where did they...? My parents lived in Brisbane. So um, uh, after I worked in a hotel chain, I eventually got into flying with Ansett and uh, then Qantas. And so I would spend a lot of time calling through Brisbane to visit mum and dad. And uh, yeah, they were very prominent in my life and... Um, I know, I was just thinking, um, we were discussing this, just how lucky you were to have amazing parents, because so few people have Mm. parents that love them so much or appreciate you for exactly who you are, so can you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? (laughs) I'd love to, I'll try not to do it, I'll try to do it without uh, getting upset, I lost mum in February, so it's all very fresh, Um, but I grew up in a family of five children, Um, mum and dad were both different personalities but both very strong so I was lucky to have amazing influences in both of them. Um, <clears throat> Mum brought up five kids but also uh, studied at college to be a lifeline counsellor so she gave of herself to everyone else as well as her family and dad worked in his own business and uh, he worked to support us to go to you know a good school and um, to have a fortunate life. And so from him, I used to read all the books he used to read, you know, The Magic of Thinking Big and, and um, How to Win Friends and Influence People wow. and all of those things. That when I, were you reading those? Oh, my gosh. How old Probably in my 20s I took them on board. Wow. But I loved his um, strength. I actually took myself out to work. Um, I got on a bus one Saturday morning and said, I'm going out to earn some money in grade 12 because I didn't like Dad paying for everything because he worked so hard. Um, so I did get a job and that's so why I started in hospitality. But aside from that, what were he, you doing? How I worked at Big Rooster. Um, and I loved it. I was dealing with people and I just loved it. And that, that uh, launched me into that sort of hospitality game. Um, so with Dad, I, I just, he had a quiet, he had a calmness about him, but a positive attitude. 
and he'd say oh well that's all history now you know if that's happened it's over move forward move on um mum was a little bit more anxious um so i think in my later years i've tended to acknowledge i've got a little bit of her anxiety um having kids but she oh, taught can I just me, say we all yep. have anxiety yep. about our children? <laughs> it's like called being a mother. Being a mother. Well, yeah, certainly got that worry factor. So it was interesting, though, when I think about mum and dad, I don't remember them constantly being around us, telling what, us what to do like we do with our kids now. They definitely weren't helicopter parents. Uh, mum went to university in her 50s after we'd grown up, but she was always doing things. She was always out doing things... Um, with the community or to improve her knowledge but she got a driver's license in her 50s as well so she dragged us around on the bus for years and and then with dad he was always at work so it was sort of a quiet influence that wasn't imposed on any of us and the five of us have all grown up as very independent strong people uh, in our own ways and I particularly remembering other kids parents would be telling them what they couldn't couldn't do but mine wouldn't and I actually wanted them to tell me what I should be doing and because they didn't I developed my own sense of independence well, what's and, right and wrong, made yeah. my own decisions and I actually made the right decisions and out of the five of us I seem to be the only one who has taken the path of exercise and um, yeah we're going to talk about that because yes. didn't you just do some amazing masters thing I did at I the, the Nobby's Surf Club I did um, oh my good god I can't believe that if what any... did you actually do to get that? I, crazy. I've done two lots of masters. I did one this year in 2019 and I did one in 2018. Tell everyone what that is okay. for people that have no idea. I competed in the Surf Life Saving Masters. And that's this where is after having kids. This is after having kids at the age of 53 and 52. Um, so I've always been into health and fitness all my life. I, I've had almost an obsession to know about the body and to keep fit and Where healthy. Where did that come from? Was, do you think it's from the magic of thinking big? I don't know. I was don't your know dad, exactly. Anyone in your family? Well, no, no one was into fitness, but uh, it happened perfectly because I ended up with an autoimmune condition, which I had diagnosed about 25 years ago, and because of the healthy lifestyle I was leading, and because of which that one, interest do you in the body, yes, I've got Sjogren's syndrome. Yeah. Sjogren's syndrome. I think it's just important for people to realise just how much you've kept that at bay because of yeah. your fitness. Yes, yes, exactly. And what you eat too, of course. Primary Sjogren's syndrome can be related to rheumatoid arthritis, but in my case, um, it's where my body thinks it's overproducing mucus, say in my salivary glands and my tear ducts, so it cuts back on the mucus. Um, my white cells sometimes will attack my own white cells. Um, but with a healthy lifestyle and diet, you can tend to keep that at bay. And I'm plus very you had kids mouth. too. Had kids, yes. I, um, in my, with my second child, my platelets dropped really low, um, concerningly low, but um, over, over about a year, they eventually came back up and I'd just keep an eye on it. I didn't need to take medication. But um, so, so I think that's fortunate that I have had that interest because I have to deal with the autoimmune condition. So I, I keep up to date on you know, the latest practices and, and, and what's new in the research to do with So that. what have so, you found has been the most helpful to keep it at bay in your view of all the things you've tried? Um, so I take good care of my teeth with primary Sjogren's because I've got um, atrophied salivary glands by now. And 
I'm not producing much saliva now, so I have to so have a regular checkup with my teeth. I brush twice a day, I floss, I, I do as much as I can. Um, and then with my tear ducts, I actually had my tear ducts stitched. Um, I Does had, that mean you can't cry? Well, I can still cry, but they're a bit oily and not so watery. <laughs> so, so there is a way around it all? Well, actually, this is I do have tears now even when I don't want them because they actually overflow from my <laughs> bottom lid. So I'll be talking to people and they'll think they're upsetting me or I'm crying, but I'm actually not. <laughs> I have to explain myself. But um, I had punctal plugs, which are like a little pin head made of silicon that they insert into the plug to stop the tears from draining away. A lot of people think your tears come from the little holes that are in the corner there, but the tears actually come from inside the lid. And that little hole in the corner of your eyes is where the tears drain away and they drain down your nasal passages there. Yeah. And so I had them plugged. I thought I was actually losing those plugs um, over several years and I got an infection in my eye and we resolved that. Um, I went to a, a punctal specialist. He operated, he said he would stitch my ducts so then I wouldn't have any issues with the silicon, possibly the germs holding on to the silicon. Um, he stitched them, but inside he found three plugs lodged in my tear ducts, which were probably causing pseudomonas in my eye for many years and mucus constantly in my eye. And since I've had my tear ducts stitched, um, I don't use eye drops anymore. Yeah, I so have good. enough tears in my eyes yeah. to keep to wear contact yeah. lenses. So we were talking about your masters. I've got the masters. Got we a, got sidetracked. Sorry, but that matters um, uh, yeah. because it's okay. amazing. Tell just first of all, say exactly what a masters is. Okay. The Surf Life Saving Masters um, is where a number of clubs will come together to compete uh, in each state and then they'll have an, uh, one called Aussies where they will come around from Australia to compete. So I competed in the Queensland State Masters Championships. Um, now the way I led into that was that I joined uh, an Obby Surf Club with my kids so they could do nippers and learn how to be confident in the surf. Um, uh, through a, a few things that happened I jumped on the committee um, and then through that I decided to push myself out of my comfort zone and do the bronze medallion um, I have quite a substantial fear of the surf and the waves and going underneath the waves and losing my breath and so I wasn't going to do the bronze and one Saturday one Sunday morning I woke up and it had already um, they'd already done one lesson the previous week I woke up and said okay I'm doing <laughs> the bronze I get a bit emotional talking about it um so I took myself off to the surf club and started doing the bronze medallion wow. now I did That's it with amazing a, it, it was and I did it with about five other mums and we were all putting ourselves through this and there were days where we went through cyclonic conditions in those waves they, they sent us out only when it was safe but to us they seemed even worse than <laughs> they they were to other people I was but wondering how you did that I just assumed that you honestly done it forever. we would come out and we would cry and there was a vomit someone did at one point but the our mums we all supported each other through it and we did it for eight weeks and this was eight weeks of every Sunday getting nervous diarrhea from thinking oh my god I've got to get in in the surf and I would have a water safety person next to me sometimes I would Steve knows I clawed his arm every time we went under the waves but we made it, we became proficient, we were awarded with our bronze medallions at a presentation at the surf club and it just lifted me up so much and then that allows you to do patrol. You can actually do just a surf rescue certificate and do patrol. So I decided to go on patrol 
Um, if you do 25 hours patrol, then that gives you enough hours to compete for your club. So I had to do 25 hours to complete. Being a volunteer surf lifesaver was amazing to do for the people you meet and uh, for what you're doing, the job you're doing. So you're rescuing people. So uh, the guy who was organising it. There were lots of rescues, but um, what they tell you in the bronze is you play to your strengths. So my strengths were sitting in the tower, keeping an eye out, uh, using the radio. Um, I did the advanced resus course, so then I could use the, the oxygen equipment if I needed to. So I took on board what I was capable of doing. And then the young boys who are 16 who are guns on the board, they're, they're the ones that go out and do the rescues. And we have an IRB, so that backs them up as well. So I didn't How actually need to... How many rescues would there be? Oh, look, the rescues, um, they often happen outside of the flags because people decide to swim outside the flags and so we keep an eye on beyond the flags. Oh, you could do a rescue once a, once a weekend, you know, just, just something small or even if it's just a, a come back in or pull someone back in, just, you know. Wow. Major rescues happen a lot more in the busier places like Surface Paradise. Yeah. In fact, my, tourists, my boy's favourite show from doing nippers is Bondi Rescue. Yeah. We watch that as a family all the time. I think yeah. it's quite amazing. So the guy who was organising the Masters said, well, why don't you give it a go? And I think the pull for me was, I'm a little bit competitive, was the fact that the older you get, the less people are in the, you know, competing against you. So in my range of 50 or 54, he's, he had the stats of how many people competed and, you know, the chance of getting a medal and that little chance of getting a medal because... I've always been a, a competitor at an average level. Level, you know, I will, I'll get a participation medal for everything I do because I like to participate. Um, not so much a winner. So, I thought this would be a good thing for me to see, for my kids to see as well. One, doing the bronze, and two, to compete. And they were competing as well in state champs and that sort of thing. And um, I thought if I didn't get a medal, it didn't matter. I, I still get to compete with women my age. I feel fit, you know, I'm looking great and I'm just really enjoying that side of it. So I went to the Masters at the Sunshine Coast in 2018. Um, I went up a day early to compose myself. I stayed in a motel on my own just to, you know, pull myself together. And um, then the next day I took photos of everyone else because I love to take photos. And then my race <clears throat> was um, in the afternoon, my first race. So I did the two kilometre run. So I was signed up for the 2K run, the sprint, the, the 80 metre sprint and the relay and the flags. Never done flags before in my life. That's something the kids do. So um, I'm really proud of having done the flags. But I did the 2K run and I actually won gold in the 2K run. Um, on the beach. On the beach. So I looked very dorky, and it didn't. It doesn't matter at this stage of my life. I had black compression stockings on my calves because every time I'd run on the beach, they would twinge. I pushed through that, um, and I would, you know, have a bit of physio for them. But I had to keep, just keep going. I had compression shorts on with my knobby shorts over the top, and I had my hair in plaits not looking like a 52-year-old, and my novice cap on, and I just ran, and I just did it, and I came up with the gold, and wow. I was really, really That's proud. Of, That's amazing. It is amazing, and I'm so proud of, of doing that. Um, and then so, the next so day... So I think we should talk a little bit, just want to stop there on the brain stuff. Yes. So when you push through your fears, and you actually do stuff that's really uncomfortable, makes yes. you really uncomfortable, but you keep going... Yes. 
that is really where you get the biggest breakthroughs in your life. It is. And that's the bit we always try and avoid because we don't yes. think we can do this and we don't think we can do that. Yes. But there's so much evidence to show that if you actually go and do those things, yes, that's where the greatest big changes come from in your life. Like it, that yeah. flows not just from that event, it flows on to other parts of your life. Yes. And if I analyse that, I, I, am, I actually consciously think of that when I, when I push myself to do the next thing. I question myself and, and think, why do I do that? But I actually just do it. And whether it's been an influence of watching Dad, you know, just, just do stuff and get it done, and Mum, just do stuff, it could be that. Um, but it's like, it's like a trigger in me, and I would say that there is nervousness that comes with it. I, I would get really extreme butterflies oh, but in my stomach. But that's called the discomfort part, the and discomfort. that's the bit that most people will run yes. from because it's a brain thing. That's what I'm trying to say because right. it's your brain saying, I can't do this, I'm really afraid. And, and at that point, most people don't do it. Well, okay. But when you sit with that nervousness and do it, yes. is where you're actually retraining your brain so right. next time you're less nervous okay. about it. Well, well, without knowing the science of it, um, that is what happens. I go through that nervousness, I push through, and when you're in the moment doing it, the nervousness is gone. And that's what I would love people to know, that if they can just push themselves beyond that butterflies in the stomach, the diarrhea, oh my God, I've pushed through so much of that with water skiing, with the masters, with running, with with pretty much everything that I do that is this adventurous sort of stuff or, you know, it's just this achievement stuff. And I think a lot of that has maybe come from um, picking up a book that, that teaches you. I listened to, um, it was a tape, I used to love tapes because um, I'd pick up all dad's tapes as well as books. I was training to do a half marathon and I listened to the psychology of winning mm -hmm. and that's all I would listen to and I would I would listen to uh, John Waitley is it uh, I would listen to the author talk about how the PO, the um, prisoners of war the camp, the prisoners of in the prison war camps they would teach themselves how to play golf and how to play the piano in a dark room and they would visualize what they wanted to achieve and I have to say I think that's what gets me through if you can start visualizing what you want at the end of it it can get you through the tough part of feeling the physical feelings yeah. well that goes back to having purpose purpose goals so if you purpose. don't have purpose in your life I think that's where people they're kind of just floating around right? yes so that's where yes. that's what you're talking about there the visualization is like it's, you're not just doing it you're doing it for a purpose yes you know, yes. One to make yourself proud, but you know, yeah. many other things, and um, yeah, I love all of that. And look, and look what it's helping you in your life. You yeah. know, that kind of pushing through that discomfort. Yes. And because we actually have to do that be because of the way the brain's been wired over yeah. millions of years. Yes. And we don't know what things yeah. are happening, and so sometimes you just have to sit with that for some time to really. Yeah. You do, do it. And then, then that one thing, the masters, will lead to the next thing. It does. And, you know, I always see myself as just this average kid who had glasses, who had all sorts of self-esteem things happen well, at primary school. we all school. have self-esteem. We all have those things <laughs> happening. But Unfortunately. It, you, you pick what your motivator is going to be and you go, and, and I surprise myself sometimes and think, I can't believe I did that. Or I look back on a video and think, what motivated me to... Yeah, be what, that person. What motivated you to water ski? 
Well, actually, I have to say a lot of my activities come from boyfriends at the time. Water skiing, rock climbing, um, jumping out of a plane, um, bungee jumping. They all seem to be things that someone has pushed me. (laughs) No, that probably covers it, I think. And then the one I have now, but... That's five. Yeah, no, that's five in 50 years. That's not too bad. (laughs) So I, I find myself in these positions where I have to challenge myself. I had to challenge myself with water skiing to just do it. I didn't know if I could do it. I was nervous. I did it. Yeah, amazing. Um, so with all the activities as well. So with the rock climbing, I didn't know if I could do it. I was nervous about it, but I did it because I was put in the situation. And sometimes you just have to find if you are put in a situation, just try to go with it. If It's sometimes better if you don't have a choice. And they say, well, I bought you a present to jump out of a plane, which happened to me. And I thought, oh, my God, there's no way I could do that which was a misunderstanding because he thought I saw it on TV and said, wow, I'd love to do that. And I actually said, wow, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Next thing, Boxing Day, I get a present, which is you know Christmas Day present, so Boxing Day. The whole family marched down to Coolangatta Airport and I did a tandem skydive out of a plane. And that was one of those moments that if I can do this, I can do anything, maybe. You know. So what sort of rock climbing did you do? I did crack climbing, What's which that? means you... Um, you put your whole fist, your hand into a crack to hold yourself in position, and then you move up and you keep climbing up. So, um, so I did a lot of a lot of that type of thing that and big really mountains. Hard. And it, yeah, you get a few scratches and things did like you, that. Were you roped in? Yes, I was always a second climber. So, uh, my partner at the time, he was the lead climber, so he put the gear in, and then I would climb up behind him and take the gear out because he'd set an anchor up top. I'd climb behind him and, and did you totally trust that he put in properly? I did Obviously. actually, yes. Did and that's know? one of the things, trust um, when you're doing any of these things as well. You And, and that's a pushing past the fear if so you where don't have you, trust. So where have you climbed? I climbed not mostly out at um, uh, Mount, uh, they call it Frog Buttress, just um, past by desert, past yeah. Boonah, it's a couple of hours out. Um, and Kangaroo Point Cliffs, but I did a really big hiking climb where we set um, a number of anchors, um, a number of um, different climbs in the one climb, and that was down at the Warren Bungles. That was thousands of metres. It was just a really high, high climb. Was that scary so at all? I had two. I had him and another climber with me, and um, uh, I don't know if I, I don't remember the fear. If I had fear back then. It's Do funny how things how fade old away. You were when you did that? Yeah, I was in my uh, early thirties, so between thirty and thirty-six, I did the, the rock climbing. I did water skiing from my when from when I was nineteen for a few years and let that go. Um, but then the good thing about meeting Sean was that he had all the things in common that I like to do. So we do water skiing now, and you know we have a boat. Did you watch and, um, that amazing documentary? Of Alex Honnold. Oh, no. Which one? Solo. He soloed, he soloed El Capitan. Oh, y- yes. The El, yep, yep, yes, the El Capitan. Yep. Isn't that amazing? Yep, amazing. I highly recommend yes. people watch that, but yep. that's like out there, isn't it? It is that's out there. That's total brain training. Yes. Like, cons- like crazy. It is. It's like when they, you know, they'll say, walk across a plank that's on a flat floor 
and you can easily walk across a plank on a flat floor but if you put that plank up a few inches and you walk across that plank for some reason your brain doesn't think you can do it so one thing I have learned it's the visualization of just okay you can lead yourself down one path or another path but you take the path where you think okay I can balance this, I can do this, and you look ahead and you just keep moving forward. Yeah. And it's the same in life. You just have to keep moving forward. It's an amazing, um, uh, just an amazing documentary too mm. with all the climbers filming that. Yep. And he he has a different mind. Yeah. It was from lots and lots of training. Yep. Yes. But not everyone could do that, I don't think. It's amazing what you can do, you know. you just You just never know. You I don't. say you just never know what's around the corner and what you can and achieve. So, um, um, I was also thinking about um, the book that you're kind of beginning to write. Yeah, it's funny. There's there's two books. There's one called the Life Story Kit. There's something in me that needs to help people document their life stories, and it could come from one of my partners lost his parents tragically, and wow. I think that's the main. Oh, it, it wasn't a nice situation, okay. it, yeah. Um, we might talk about that another time. But uh, that was in 1990. And when he lost them tragically, because I had such a close connection with my parents, for probably for about two years I felt like I needed to know more about them. And so I started putting questions together and I, I didn't put it together intentionally to write a book about it but I just wanted them there so I could start asking mum and dad questions but then it sort of evolved into something that was a book and that was 29 years ago so that's a long time but I can't let it go and I've called it the life story kit so um, that's that part of it so I used that with mum and with with mum I missed dad altogether dad died suddenly and I didn't get any of his story so with mum I started in the last 10 years to record her story um, and I'm so fortunate that I did that because mum passed away in February and I have recordings of her and I sit with her and I ask her questions and we laugh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I can listen to if them If we're lucky, now. we might get to be able to play some of that. Yes, definitely. I'll find some I hear of she's really you. funny too. She's, she was funny. What she was had, her name? Her name was Enid. She had a lot of anxiety. She had, she had the low self-esteem. She had a little bit of depression and a lot of things mixed in. Um, yet you get her in a crowd and she performed. Um, well, that's many, many comics and comedians. And that's my brother. He's the same. He's quiet and he actually travels around the world performing as oh, a street he? performer. So What's he's been doing name? that since he was 17. His name's Anthony Living Space, he calls himself. So he uh, is he currently do? doing the festivals over in Europe. So he does a comedy show where he, he ad libs a little bit and he talks about, uh, he, he follows people. He makes funny noises or he will see a situation and involve that person in that situation. It's very clever and he gets a big crowd and, and he's sought after. Um, but, you know, like mum, quiet, then love the party. So, so with mum, I'm lucky that I got a lot of those things. So now, now that mum's gone, I thought that maybe I would not want to pursue that, but I am pursuing that life story kit because I need people to know how important it is to know their history through their parents and to sit with their parents and to talk with them the, what i'm doing now is i'm writing this book called life after mum it's very cathartic it's allowing me to oh take a deep breath yeah. download my thoughts because you don't 
think things. It's the value of hindsight. You don't think these things when you're in a situation. You think of them afterwards. So I'd like people to learn from what I'm currently learning now myself. So what are you thinking about? You're thinking about if only you ask this particular question. You go you through, yeah. Remember to do that. That's at the right. Um, I could see that, and um, but some parents won't do the recording. Some parents don't. My husband's mum. I've asked her, and she's not into that. She her life is her life, and that's it. So, whereas my mum was quite open. That's well, why she's I'm a comic. quite open. She's a comic. Probably a street performer. That's uh, now a new brother instead. Totally. Our family was brought up on Monty Python and the Goons and the ABC humour. And we all have that appreciation of ABC humour. And we're all, you know, dry and it's funny and we get together and we laugh. And that's what I miss about her, her soft hands and her laugh. But um, continuing on, what I'm, what I'm making notes about and why I'm writing it is not just for me, but for I really have a need for other people to to learn where they can go with their parents while they're still par- their parents are still alive. And it's a tough conversation to have with, with your mum and dad because it's like, oh, I'm not going to die or, you know, oh, I don't need to talk about that. But the, the conversations are not so much where did you work and where did you live, which is totally what my Life Story Kit was about. I'm rewriting it. It's all about mm-hmm. how were we together as a child and a mother? How did you feel about the things I did or how did you feel about and it's asking them the questions about their feelings and their emotions and who they actually were were as a person and we do that with our friends but we don't do it with our parents we don't really know who they were as a human being and they put they go through so much as parents and I know that as a parent now um, and so this well, you week, don't ever appreciate your parents till you have children. Well, you don't, and then you don't ever appreciate them until they're gone, and then you appreciate them more. And so each week I go through a different thought, and it'll be in a different place. It'll be in the laundry this week. I broke down in tears because I started to think, oh, my God, I didn't actually sit with her and say, you know, how did, how did you feel about when this... There was a particular thing I was thinking about when this happened in your life because it had just happened in my life with the kids or whatever. How did you deal with that um, when we did that to you? Or, you poor thing. Like, I didn't give her enough sympathy. And I text my sister and I said, oh, my God, I just thought about this and I didn't, I didn't, I <laughs> know. She and had five so we're kids. all different. She's five and of my them. mother she had, had four kids that. and I think about that a lot. This goes, this goes back to the multi-generational transmission of things, right? And, cause, yes. and then you go back that's your mother but then she had a mother too and a father and what they dealt with was even more so extreme than your mother dealt with and we're dealing with and our children like each generation slightly less but this is where why we have these podcasts and yes trying to get this information to people because people aren't aware that all of these things are kind of being written into your life yeah and look hey it might be 29 years before this book ends up on the shelf because it's not the last one hasn't and and this one hasn't but it's not it's not a book to say okay I'm going to write a book and then I'm going to make money off a book it's a book for people to to use and I would give it away that's that's how I feel about it it's so, so strongly what, what, about what it what made you when did you start to think the, about writing this particular book life after mum was it after oh, she passed look I have to say it was probably I, I feel like I'm getting more emotional about her than less the more I've time heard, passes. I've heard this many times from many children that lost their parents. It's almost like a shock 
maybe a delayed reaction yes. I'm thinking now no, it's the stages of grief though there's five stages yeah because it, it goes you have to get you're getting to the acceptance phase and so there's a lot of yeah I feel I'm a long way from that just yeah. yet um I don't know when I'll be I don't I feel like at the moment I'll never accept it but um the starting to write things down it came to me just I don't know in a moment I thought I need to write all of this down I just need to start writing down because I had too many thoughts and that's what I would say to people if you have thoughts about something just start writing them down because sometimes you get more clarity from seeing it on a page Mm -hmm. Um, or you know I do it in my phone on notes and um, I pull over on the side of the road and and I do that often because I just need to get those thoughts out Um, and And it's also will be calming because grief is real it's physical pain so when you when you have a broke it's like it's a broken heart and so the we know the broken heart connections in the brain activate the same parts of the brain as physical pain right physical pain activates the brain so that's why it hurts ah okay so much yes and and you know and no one even really understands you know grieving isn't i don't know it's it's different to what you expect it going to be it it is different and friends can pass away dogs can pass away your grandparents can pass away but then when your parent passes away especially when it's the second parent and I've talked at length with a girlfriend of mine who has also lost her second parent she was connected with both of them and she cared for them I I was very much a carer for mum very much in the later years after dad died so for 10 years I've been there doing all of the physical stuff and I think that's where I got a bit lost in doing all the physical stuff and not so much taking care of the mind stuff Um, we've talked about how it feels like you're an orphan it feels like oh my gosh I'm at the top of the food chain now especially considering that when mum died the week before dad's last sister died out of four sisters so then we've got no aunties and uncles left in our family of children and so then mum was the last to go um so the day before mum relapsed I went to her sister-in-law's funeral on the Thursday mum was doing really well on the Wednesday went to the funeral missed a day of seeing her came back on the Friday and she had gone into delirium again so over three weeks what did your mum have an infection she died of sepsis so she was healthy and then she got an infection and there's so many things I've learned from caring for her as an elderly person Um, a lot of people don't know that the elderly when they get a urinary tract infection um, that triggers delirium and they can get scrambled words and that's a common side effect so once we first learned that then I could identify it every time treat it you know and and then she's back on track Um, this time we thought we could do that but then a number of factors came into play with her body and um, so it was yeah. kind of not expected. It then. was not expected. It was sudden. I was water skiing on the Saturday and she died it on the Sunday. You know, I had a pool to be there, but it had gone for three weeks and then she suddenly went. I went. When she went, I was lucky to be holding her hand. <laughs> yeah, well, you're meant to be yeah. there. It's very difficult to to talk about even now, but that's but, where but I find that. Yeah, but you're helping so many people, aren't you? And... I allow myself to do this. Yeah, because you have to. There's nothing wrong with it. No. It's it's how everyone feels about people. Yeah. It just means you're so lucky to have someone that loved you so much and you love them this much. Yes. That's what it actually means. It does. It it is. so many people don't have that. So many people don't have that. 
So many don't. And and that's what we're all about, right? We're we're trying to to even if you don't have someone that loves you, anyone that's listening, you know, know that we do. <laughs> we do. I do. I mean, you know, everyone is born good and everyone there's so many influence in people's lives that affect how they how they are, but it doesn't mean they're a bad person. People do things because they do them, and you know. Well, so also because people have um, ad- adverse childhood experiences that come in over many generations. That's it. And this is so important. That's why I did the first ten podcasts is to try and start educating people about how adverse childhood experiences wire the brain for the things that we do later in life. Yes. And that that can be changed. The brain can be changed, as you've demonstrated many times yes. in your life. Yes. Because I do have that anxiety gene that my mother had, but, but you I changed it, it. But that's what I mean. Maybe we'll, yeah, yeah. you're rewiring it with exercise yes. and fitness yeah. and positive outlook and doing things and your life story kit and yeah. your books and training people like me to do sit-ups. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love doing it. I love helping. So, you know. And this has probably been one of my downfalls because my husband said, stop giving your time to everyone else. And that's what I would do. And now suddenly I find that I've given up volunteering for the surf club, for the school, for everything else. And now mum's gone. I've I've got a year free of giving myself to everyone else. But I think maybe it's instinctually I think it's, I've got, it's time to give back to myself to... Um, get myself on track in yeah. my family and, and my that's another and piece of advice we'd love to give everyone you can't give from an empty well no absolutely and fitness and nutrition yes. and mindset like as I say I think the foundations of life are being happy healthy and strong definitely as Wim Hof the Iceman says but without you work and that's something you have to work on like yes. a job yes it yes. doesn't just you just no. aren't happy healthy and strong no it it's like a lot effort. it's wor- it's worse than working i hate getting up in the mornings and i am making myself get up at quarter past five and sean will say well it's actually five thirty, but i'm getting up early and i'm doing my exercise i'm walking at the moment instead of running because i've had a shoulder operation but also because that's slowing me down because sometimes you can go in too hard and you can think, why can't I keep it up and do it every day? It's because you, you are going in a little bit hard so you've got to tone it down a little bit and just keep the routine going if you can. I try and Get say your that, motivators. I try and say that to really make the change. It's not twice a week. No. You've got to be doing it every day. You yes. do something every day, I do something every day. It's very rare that I miss a day. I might occasionally, but... I, that was where everything changed for me was when I went from two or three times a week to every day. Yes. Because it just becomes part of your routine, yes. like eating a yes. Vegemite sandwich. Yes. It's still hard to... But you're not forcing yourself. No. It's just part of what you do every day. Yes. And and it is difficult to fit in when you're working and when you're a mother. So it's um, circumstantial, I guess, um, when, whatever your circumstances are. So I swim when my kids are doing their training. So I jump in the pool at the same time on a Tuesday afternoon and that's when I swim. If they go to footy, then I run around the oval and while everyone else is having wine and that's all good to have a wine, but I like to just fit it in when I can because then I can. I know that after I drop them off, I can come home and concentrate on the other work I need to do on the computer or whatever else I've got to do. Um, but yeah, it's hard to fit it in. So you just... Especially when you're a mother with young yes, kids. Yes, yeah, and it's so easy just to sit on the couch and feel exhausted 
you but know? the exercise makes gives you energy yes that's right and that was the thing that I didn't realize because when my mum used to call me at and say, are you exercising? You're over 40 now. You have no choice. Well, I have to say, Sean knows when I'm not exercising. And I, I can, you know, go through, say, this winter I've had this shoulder operation. He knows when he, he says, you're not exercising, are you? And as soon as I get back to exercising, I just feel uplifted. And it is true, what, you know, with the endorphins and, and the brain and and how it just gives you a sense of well-being. And I feel that. And the more you do it, the more you want to do it, and if people can you get over get that hurdle, it's like giving up chocolate. Yeah. And believe me, I do like a bit of chocolate, chocolate-coated fruit and nuts. Um, oh, my so, God, yes. but, but I do find that in those times when I say, okay, I'm going to do this, and often I will put it down on paper um, and, uh, and make a note of, okay, I've ticked it off today, I've done it, keep going. And it only takes a few days. It takes a few days of not having it to go, okay, I can then do a few more days. Yeah, it's amazing. And everything else comes back as soon as you start doing that. Yes. I learned once in a course to chunk it down. And rather than say, okay, you can have your 12-week goal, but this week I'm going to do this many days of this and just try and go easy on yourself, but but just keep doing a little bit. If you can't do an hour... Do half an hour. Yeah. Do 15 minutes. Five minutes, I say. Five minutes. And as we mentioned about getting up early, there's nothing more that I can say than the thing that sets your brain in the big, great direction is that yes. morning routine, like being grateful when you wake up. Uh, really simple things can actually make a really big difference. Yep. You know, people don't have to go crazy even no. to get started. Yes. It's getting started's the hardest yes. part, for sure. And it's so easy to fall back. It is easy, especially if you get tired, so you've got to be kind yeah. to your body. But... Um, uh, now that I'm in a routine of the 5.30, as much as I say I don't like getting up in the morning, I, I don't want to sleep in at yeah. the moment. I just yeah. want to keep getting no, up no, at 5.30 and doing the, it. Oh, the mornings are so beautiful at the sunrise. So, so I was going to um, say then, what's um, in all your life experience? You've yes. done so many different things. Yes. Is there anything that you have thought about that you would love as a message you know, through your story kit or whatever, yeah. to give to the audience that they can take from some of the lessons you've learned? Oh, yes, there's so many. Um, I think value the people around you while you have them. Um, because Don't take stuff for granted. No. I said this just the other day. Mm. You know how sometimes we try and optimise situations? Yes. Because we think we've got more time? Yes. Like we'll have... We can do that in 10 years' time. Mm. Don't put it and off. sometimes you've just got to maximise the opportunity when it arises because it may never rise again. Yes, I totally agree. And that's a, a big life lesson to take the opportunity when it arises. Value the people around you. See the good in people before you see the bad. Because we're all about 70-30. <sighs> yes, that's right. And, and Something like that. And even if you are someone who is caring for a parent and you're doing all of those physical things to keep them alive, just try and try if you can to stop, like my sister would say, dusting or cleaning up the house. Just sit with them um, and ask them questions about themselves. And they might be surprised and they might find it difficult to talk about, but open up the conversation, open up those difficult conversations and it will, it will fill your heart. So fill your heart with the people around you and enjoy their company yeah and that i mean the harvard grant study 
they followed men from Harvard for 80 years, interviewing them every right. decade. And the, and the ones that were the help, help, happiest and healthiest living were the ones that had the most highest quality connections really? out of everything that okay. they looked at. Nutrition, exercise, yeah. Yeah. smoking, drinking. Yes. And they were shocked. Yeah. And people at the end of the study said, oh my God, what was the point of doing all of that? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I remember watching a program called 42 Up. Do you remember? And it'd, and it'd go, I think it was 7 Up and 40 yes. Up. And, and, and I, I loved that show, just seeing people grow from that age to that age. But looking at their experiences, you could see what shaped that. It's another interesting concept. I know we're going to finish soon. Yes. It's an interesting concept of like one decision. Yes can ch completely change your life into such a different direction. Absolutely. And that's going to be another podcast, How You Met Your Husband. Yes, okay, um, sure. I've got a lot of podcasts I think I could do about oh my goodness, life yeah. and living. And oh my God, you can. Yes. You've got so much you can share. So thank you so much for everything that you did for your mum. That's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to tell you about it. Thank you and, for well, listening. Well, it's very important because people, you know, we have to take care of our families because who else is going to? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right, Selena, and thank you for listening because it's been really great to to talk about it, and, yeah. and I hope that what I've talked about, people can take something from that. And yeah. you know, what is one of the best things you've done in your getting through the grief? Would you say? Um, I, I think um, I think writing it down. No, actually, for me, is looking at Mum's photos. Some people can't look at photos, but for me, listening to her voice. And I could spend all day just going through my computer and, and looking at her. I feel like when I look at her, she's still here. So looking at her face and her eyes, that is actually a good thing. Yes, it is. It's wonderful. But everyone's but, different. So. Yeah. So thank you for everything you've done. Keep yes. up the great work. Thank and you. we're going to learn all of... The next one's going to be about Rewired for Love. Yes. Okay. <laughs> sure I can talk about something <laughs> there. We both can. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We hope you benefit from this and t can take something away. Um, life is just so beautiful. My, my, uh, my message to you is just embrace every moment. Life is really precious. Like we're only here like one in a trillion chance. Don't waste it. Just go and look at the sun. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Oh my God, you are so cool. You are so cool. That is amazing. Thank you, Eddie Campbell, for sharing your magnificent story and creating the Life Story Kit. In honour of your mother, Enid Campbell, I'm going to play an excerpt for one of, from one of the stories that you created with her. Um, thank you, Enid Campbell, for raising such beautiful children. And I get to witness just what a magnificent you, job you did with your Eddie Campbell who's now Eddie Roberts. I was very fortunate to be able to speak with her and I hope everyone enjoys this little excerpt of the mother and daughter. What a great way. I love the podcasts where we can actually bring to life all these magnificent people that have made a big contribution to the world for multiple generations. Love between a mother and daughter is like no other and it saves us from so many things when we know that we are deeply loved by our parents. So in honour of you, Enid Campbell, thank you for producing 
and being a wonderful person. I hope you enjoy this everyone, a little snippet between Eddie and Enid Campbell. Please enjoy. Right, so what's the story you're telling? So I used to, I used to go along to this old kerosene tin, yeah, and I got a big stick and I used to whack it and a big snake used to come out. That was his home. Yeah. And he'd go round and round and round and then he'd go back to his home. Mm-hmm. And I used to do it every day and I loved it. I was only a little about this high. Yeah. And one day Len came out and grabbed the gun and shot the snake. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was oh, whacking, whacking. Oh, I thought it was lovely. I used to go whack like that and how did it come? And what it was was there was a hole underneath the can yeah. and, and it was all rusty mm-hmm. and it just looked like an old rusty can and it was a snake's um, home. So and what town was that? That was Yalab and that's just near Ipswich. Oh, right. And Nanny used to work at the pub there. Mm. And then when, when, Daddy, when Daddy and I, he was war classing. When I went, when Daddy and I went to Auntie Dorothy's that time, we took them back, you know. Yeah. When we came, were coming home, I looked and I saw the name of the sheep station and I wanted to go in and have a look. Oh. And he wouldn't go. Oh. And uh, it's called, it was called Wilgervale, but I think it probably would have been gone because the sheep, a lot of sheep places went, you know. Mm. And it was called Wilgervale, and I always thought oh, I'd love to go and have a look if it's still there. Yeah. And um, anyway, we went into the pub to have a drink. Yeah. And we just missed a man who was around in that era. Yeah. They said, oh, you oh. just missed him, he's just gone. Oh, and yeah. he knew everything about Oxleys and everything. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I always thought that. The pub burned down apparently. Yeah. And they rebuilt it. It was all brick and that. But, yeah. Um, and then that was where we picked we picked a bloke up. Oh, yeah. it was funny. And I was scared stiff because you know it's like picking someone up. Mm-hmm. But his car had broken down, and he hailed us. Talking to the. He hailed us and. Uh, yeah. Anyway, he he said, could I? He just get a lift into your lab and. Yeah. And to go to the to get his car fixed, mm. and um, he got in the back, and I sat in the front beside George, and I watched him all the way because I thought, oh, I don't like picking people up, but he was all right. He was a good, nice man, you know. Yeah. But you don't know, do you? I mean, you never no. know. I mean, out could have a knife or anything. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, we don't, you don't pick him up like just willy nilly, but. You could sort of see what had happened, and uh, mm. and uh, anyway, we gave him a lift into Yalabin, mm. and uh, that's where I got my love of um, those trees. I love, you know, the jacarandas, because oh, yeah. the whole uh, a girl called Betty, someone or another. She's a writer, mm. and she was a friend of Olive's, and she used to talk to me. And she sent me a postcard of the actual street in Yalabin with all the trees. Oh, and, nice. and it was like Grafton, you know, with yes. all the trees down the street. Oh. And, uh, and, then, and then, you know, what Olive did, she wrote to Sally Ann and said she was a friend of mine and could uh, uh, they do uh, bark paintings. 
Yeah. And uh, I don't know what she, what she said, but she might have said she was too busy or something. Yeah. But she she used my name as a friend. See, and she yeah. said Enid's my friend, and yeah. we've got a, a lot of ladies do these bark paintings. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even bother. Oh, that was awful. You know those girls, those daughters. Yeah. They didn't even bother to tell me Olive had died. Oh, the next-door neighbours. Yeah. Oh. You know, no, the, the daughters lived away from her, but, yeah. you know, when Olive died, she was in the home. Yeah. She was in the lady small home. Lady small home, yeah. because yeah, I took them all out. Remember one day and they were so heavy yeah. that the bloody car nearly broke down. Oh, yeah. And I had to put my hazard lights on and creep home yeah. because they were all too fat. <laughs> no, that was true. You should have heard it. They were sitting on the springs and the springs were going, uh, 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 all the way home. And who were they, Olive's daughters? No, they were women at the uh, lady's small home, her friends. Oh, right. And I friends. took her and her friends in a picnic basket mm. and I drove them to Southport. And they, the, the car was all right going, but they must have eaten too much because coming home it was making this noise. Uh, 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 and I thought, God, what am I going to do? So I put the hazard lights on and just crept home, see. And they had, they had walk, one had a walker and we had to put the walker in. And, oh, Olive was funny. She was ruthless. She said, don't bring them again. Because <laughs> she, she said, got to muck around, taking it in, letting them go to the toilet and bringing it out again. She said, don't, don't bring them again. <laughs> And then I gave her, I gave, I used to give her books to read and I gave her a book and all it had in it was about this woman in America who had a lot of money, you'd know the name, mm. and um, she was a bit of a gadabout. Yeah. Oh, and she complained that it was so rude. And it wasn't rude at all, you know. Yeah. And so I thought I won't give her any more. No. <laughs> Oh, she, we had a great time together, though. Yeah. Everybody's looking at my hat. Looking at your what? My hat. My, my mortarboard. Yeah, well, it's nice um, to leave it on the table. Mm, mm. Oh, you know, um, Lawrence told me the other day, he knows the man who invented margarine. Yeah, oh, yes. And he said... She used to get real upset because people called it margarine and it's margarine. Oh, okay. So we all say, pass the margarine, please. You do name it after a lady. Margarine's not a lady, is it? I don't know, maybe it's a friend of his. I don't know, but you know, he said everyone pronounces it wrongly because the way it's spelled. Yeah. And, and uh, he said the real name is margarine. Right. And... Um, so we say pass the margarine, but there's always, we're always having a, a go about, have you got any sugar? No, I haven't got any sugar. Have you got any milk? The milk jug's got a funny base mm. and the milk jug doesn't sit properly on the table. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, it goes on all day. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I was glad we, we called the nurse over about the, her sleeping pills yes. and I just touched her sleeve and I told her about the night the night pills. Mm. I don't know how we'll go. I'm sure I used to get more than two.